Cheers to a new week. Grab your cafecito or favorite cocktail. And get ready for another episode of Best of Both Maris. With Maritza. And Marisol. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Best of Both Maris. Um, we're excited to have you joining us for another episode. I'm here with Maritza. And we are excited to get this week started with you all. We're back. Sorry it took us a while, but we're happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we did want to just continue honoring women for Women's History Month. Um, But it is also just a reminder that it's always Women's History Month. You know, just continuing to bring up women that have made change in society and in your personal life too Um, because I think you know uplifting each other is what makes the world better so I did want to open up just with um, a poem that highlights this and puts everything more into perspective Um, this is a poem by Rupi Carr it's called Legacy So it says, I stand on the sacrifices of a million women before me, thinking, what can I do to make this mountain taller so the woman after me can see further? Um, I really like this poem because it just reminds you of all the trials that everyone has to go through to see bigger heights to things and Mm -hmm. reach more opportunities. Um. And that comes with everyone before us and after us and the people that are in our life show us that, um, you know, the role models that we have. And then every step that we take as an individual, like personally, you know, as each year goes by, you get to look back and see that you have reached a bigger mountain and you're Mm -hmm. seeing new perspectives, new opportunities, and just noticing all the growth that you've been going through. Yeah, um, I really appreciate her, her style and her writing um, in general, too, because I feel like she really is like redefining gender roles and the, the voice that she gives to women and um, women of color is empowering. Um, in this mm-hmm. particular example, I really appreciate how she just reminds us um how far we've gotten because of the women that came because of the women that have come before us but also Mm -hmm. almost a reminder of to not continue living life through this individualistic approach but to like look back and help um all the other women coming after you which I feel like in this country I know we've talked about in the past about how it is very individualistic it's very like only about myself and only about me and you know coming from um the latino culture it's more of a collective culture where it's very much about not just you but also your family mm-hmm. um and also your community so i feel like that's something i've always struggled with like i live in a country that seems to be very about only focusing on yourself and climbing the ladder for your own your own sake and um your own success but also coming from a culture that um is very collective and it's 
so I think this poem, like just reflecting back on it, it's almost a reminder of like, you can still like climb up, but almost like that saying that we stand on the shoulders of giants, like who are our ancestors, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So in order to honor these people that have come before us, we have to go back and like help others climb up with us. Yeah, I agree. It also just reminds me of the saying, like, there's room for everybody's success, you know? Mm -hmm. There's enough success for everyone. And it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be, like, this thing of greed and, you know? And I think that the way she puts it, like you're saying, like, into Mm -hmm. perspective in terms of culture, I think that's very um, powerful because Mm -hmm. I don't, like, I personally don't really see a lot of poems that portray that and I Mm -hmm. think that's just why her poems are very unique in that sense and she's a woman poet like the Mm -hmm. main thing yeah and I think like even even then when you when you think about writing and what you know what kind of literature it's and what kind of narratives are pushed forward even then like you know there's stories about people of color that are written like by white males or like um by by white individuals that don't really fully capture the whole essence and the whole uh, meaning of a culture or of traditions because they're not from there Mm -hmm. so I think it's even more powerful like learning from her about her roots um because she has lived it right so like her her poems just touch on a different level and allow you to connect with her as a woman but also come in a form of um, like a teaching tool to learn about her culture and her background um, in her community, which I, which I really do appreciate because it just makes her poetry come more to life. Yeah. And it makes us feel more connected to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So speaking about, um, you know, just women leaders, we did want to just highlight other women in history that have created change as the years have gone by, um, and I wanted to start off by highlighting Dolores Huerta. Um, she is a labor workers activist. Um, she worked with Cesar Chavez um, with the United Farmers Farm Workers Union. Um, so just wanted to highlight her because she was a big part of the civil rights movement for farmers. And a lot of times, I know that a lot of things get lost when we're being taught history. Mm -hmm. And when I grew up listening about the farmers' rights movement, um, the only person that was tied to it or that I heard of was Cesar Chavez. And I did not hear about Dolores Huerta. Um, So that just goes to show, you know, that a lot of, well, yeah, it's just... A thing where a lot of parts of history are not taught to us and I'm just glad that I finally got to hear about her side mm-hmm. um, and her impact and that it wasn't just him you know because um, I think everyone's mark matters and so I heard about her in around 2018-17 um, and this is when her documentary came out and I think it was just a very big eye-opener and it did make me feel more 
I guess, more empowered as a woman, you know, mm-hmm. because she's been fighting this fight for so long and she continues to even at the age of 90, which I just found out that she's 90 and she's still in the communities of color being that advocate, like making the changes, um, bringing things to light. Um, and she's even been an advocate for the the farmers' protests for um, India too. So like she mm-hmm. just, you know, she knows how important it is to be the voice for all these issues happening around us because we're all a community at the end of the day, you know? And so I just wanted to bring her up because I did have the honor of meeting her too and hearing her speak. Um, She did a little question, uh, Q&A after the documentary and then we got to meet her. Um, So yeah, I think if y'all have the chance to watch her documentary, go watch it, go see um, her side of history. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing um, like your perspective and your knowledge about her. I do have a question right now that you were talking about. It kind of made me like ponder a little bit. So you have you you said something that um, this is history that wasn't really taught. Um, When was the first time you heard of Dolores Huerta and and how did you hear about her? Honestly, my first time was in 2017. I think that this was my uh, third year at Fresno State. Um, And, you know, I'm a giveaway person. So that's how I had heard about the documentary. It was an event posted on Facebook, I believe. So um, someone was doing a giveaway and then I entered and that's how I even found out. So I was surprised, you know. I was like, wow, like, that's cool. I didn't know about this. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just thought it was Cesar Chavez and that, that was it. Like, that was yeah. all there was to it. But I also think, like, it, at least in my experience when we learned about this, it was just, like, a very big – it was just, like, a summary of it all, you know? It didn't go into the details mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, so when did you learn much. about Cesar Chavez? I think I learned about him for sure in elementary. I think I think third grade. Mm-hmm. Did you? That do you was rec- before, like the bilingual classes stopped. So yeah. Do you recall learning about him in high school, like in a history class? No. Okay, that's what I thought because. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I wanted to bring this up was because when you were talking and you said we didn't we don't really learn about these things or we didn't learn about this part of history it made me think about um are when did I first hear the name Dolores Huerta and when did I first hear the name Cesar Chavez? So my parents work in agriculture, so I remember hearing about um Cesar Chavez through conversations. And it was just summaries, mm-hmm. like, you know, he helped um, those that work in El Campo, um, like, get, like, he advocated for them. Um, but there wasn't much to it, like, 
a few like they they shared a few things about like what were the struggles and everything like that but it wasn't like a huge history lesson um and then I do remember in elementary learning about Cesar Chavez like briefly probably like you know when you learn about like all these um leaders like and, and change makers that are people of color you know like when you learn about like black history month and all of these things like you know I feel like the curriculum kind of cramps everything and it's like we're gonna name tw- the top 20 type of style and I remember mm-hmm. Cesar Chavez was one there one of those and he stood out um because he looked like me um and the other person was Sonia Sotomayor um and again she stood out because she looked like me mm-hmm. um but other than that I don't recall learning about about him and even if I did maybe it was a small snippet like on a textbook of like what was the United Farm Workers movement or like what happened in Delano but isn't it interesting Maritza that we live in the Central Valley miles away from where this happened um mm-hmm. And it's not talked about here. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think, huh, well, why isn't it talked about here? Why isn't this conversation big here where we're miles away from where it happened? And it's because, at least in my opinion, and from my observations and my own experiences here, I do genuinely believe that because the the people, when the people here in the Central Valley, when they talk about farmers, they're not talking about farm workers. Those people are not the uh, part of the narrative. Um, and I feel like when I talk about farmers, like who are farmers, who are farm workers, I'm talking about the people that work in the campo and the people that are out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, harvesting. Our I was going to say, you know why, girl. I was <laughs> anticipating for you to say it. Like, You're like, we girl, know. say it. <laughs> We know why, you know, like even going back to like the school curriculum is tailored to just white history and even that's stolen. So that's why we didn't look at what was actually happening in history. That was just Mm -hmm. covered up. Y'all, I hope y'all have your tea (sighs) because we're sipping today. (laughs) We're here and we are ready to speak on some truths. (laughs) We're uncovering it for y'all. Yeah. Um, but dude, yeah, like um also just just talking about that in general, like that idea of only highlighting the white man as the farm worker mm-hmm. tied to farm work in general. Um I think uh another thing that I also had learned was that with the United Farm Worker Organization. Um, at the time, it was also Filipinos that were fighting mm-hmm. for farm, yes. farm rights. And um, I just wanted to read this part of it because um, I found this article from a Filipino um, farm worker that had been uh, marching at the time too. Um, he said that, let me see, I'm trying to find it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to just re- to as a reminder that it's like this is a multiracial and multi-ethnic movement. Um and just how we're talking about, you know, like you mentioned that Dolores Huerta at the time like she was really 
breaking gender roles and gender barriers and women were really looking up to her um and she was almost like the face of the movement for women because she was doing a lot of the back-end work but Cesar Chavez um he kind of got pushed to the forefront to be the the face for the movement like like um in the state in the region like nationally um so that he has like that level of recognition uh, but I think it's also important for us to highlight the role um, Filipinos played when it comes to this, um, because we do see a lot of times um, when it comes to movements, there's like this racial divide. And it's important for us to learn like how to be united when it comes to issues that we're fighting for. So I know mm-hmm. there's a, a tweet I sent you um, um, around like a few a few days ago. Um, so while you look for the article, if you can pull it up, um, if not, it's okay. <laughs> but the guy's name, it said, um, have you heard of the person who recruited Cesar Chavez into the farm workers strike? And his name was Larry. And I hope I pronounced this correctly. If not, I'm so sorry. It Leon, a.k.a. Yes. Seven Fingers, convinced Chavez and the Mexican workers to join the Filipinex um, workers in solidarity. Yeah, so yes. I found the article. So the first Filipino um, that was part of the movement, um, he he basically reached out or like joined forces with Larry Itliang. Um, his name is Andy Emutan. I don't know if I'm saying mm-hmm. it right either. I apologize if I'm not. But um, yeah, he was the one that it says that... Um, he reached out to him and was like, hey, like, we need to be in union. You know, we're mm-hmm. all fighting the same cause. So he, like, they both um, went to see Cesar Chavez and talked to him about, um, you know, going on strike mm-hmm. together. Um, and he just explained that uh, Cesar Chavez said his organization wasn't ready to go on a strike and that it took several discussions um, mm. But, like, another important thing that he talks about is the fact that he says the growers, the growers were very successful in dividing us and creating conflict between the two races. <gasps> the growers. So wow. it's like the people that were in power, you know, of the farmland, you know? And this makes me think about, like, present like social movements and injustices that we have seen like that we are facing now right I mean this is a a still really current issue like I don't want to dismiss the fact like this is done like this was resolved like no farm workers are still working in really unsafe conditions they're still being exploited but it makes me think of other movements and how there is that racial divide and I want I'm kind of curious to see like who is creating that tension and I, I don't want to take away from the fact that it is a lot of the implicit biases and like, um, what's it called? Like own racism within different communities against other communities of color. But I think also like the white man, and when I say white man, I mean like as a population, not literally like one white man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I feel like they do contribute to that um, tension to kind of divide us as people um so that's really cool like that that you bring that forward because it it does make me want to reflect more on some experiences and some things that 
have been happening and and like just kind of seeing it through that lens and and how that might play a role or like you know also looking more inward and like hey this is something in our communities that we're doing because you know there is things like um the latino community is very anti-black and like how can we combat that and like teach people and educate people how to like dismantle those beliefs and um those like discriminatory practices and again like racism like how do we dismantle Mm -hmm. that in our own community to be supportive um and to uplift other voices even though like we might not understand their struggle if that makes sense yeah it just it it does make me think like how can we do that because you know this goes back to decades ago and like african-americans have been part of our history with mexicans in the war Mm -hmm. like we've all been fighting the same thing side by side and then reading this story about um the filipino american workers that were fighting for the same cause with mexican americans and it's like why are why is there a division you know it just makes Mm -hmm. you wonder and i don't know if Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I, it just makes me wonder, like, is it just, like, the costumbre, you know, like, generation by generation, like, it's not really being challenged enough? Is it the ego? Is it just mm-hmm. the systems in place that we've, like, we've always been talking about? Like, what what is it, you know? Yeah, well, something I do think about is sometimes, well, I don't want to say sometimes because most of the time, it's like if you're not gonna be benefit benefiting off of something, then it's almost like it's not convenient for me. So why am I gonna like make the effort or take the time to like push this forward? Because even in um even in the Mexican community, we see like colorism take place. But when you like expand back to be more like inclusive of like um other latin american america american countries and cultures like you also see like there's almost this hierarchy and mm-hmm. uh i don't know the the terminology that is used but mexicans do have this like hold this standard of like we're at the top mm-hmm. and everyone is just kind of below us and i feel like yo like why are we creating even more divide within each other? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know why. We know why there's even more divide. Because Mexicans, like, um, benefit off the system in a different way. Uh, is it xeno- xenophobic? Um, I don't know how to pronounce it either. Like, sorry, I'm, still, I'm bilingual. <laughs> but Let me look it up. There is that, there is that div- divide within our own. Yes, you said it right. Mm-hmm. yeah xenophobia xenophobia is a dislike or prejudice against people from other countries mm-hmm. um yeah so which is like i do i do see it like we do have that in the in the latinx community like what is latinx um and like what is considered latinx so i think like what i've seen in the way like that i that at least from my observations and experiences um, I can't speak for everyone, and y'all feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. 
But sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like, well, if I'm not like that, I see like this narrative of like, well, if we're not going to benefit for that from it, or like, it's almost like what, what's in it for me type mm-hmm. of thing that it's like, what do you mean? What's in it for you? You, you should be wanting to like help and uplift kind of like that poem of Rupi Kaur, like mm-hmm. uplift everyone, mm-hmm. you know, like, like why would you want to be in a place where someone else is more oppressed than you? Yeah, I think um, it's also just that I, I honestly think it's like the fear, you know, like what if we go back to nothing again? Like we've mm-hmm. come this far, like what if it's all taken from us? You know, it's just a lot of um, doubt, not doubt, but just thinking like what is going to happen? We've already come this far. Like is there going to be any repercussions for us now? You know, it's just that fear that I think ties into it. Yeah. Um, that's which a good I can point. totally see like where they're coming from, you know, like putting our yeah. ourselves in their shoes. Like it's just hard because they wouldn't really know what direction things are going to go, you know? Yeah. And I think also, you know, you mentioned earlier costumbres. Um, like, is it costumbre? Like, is it just a cut? I'm accustomed to live in this way. And I feel like, for as long as I can think of, I've always been, I, I'm a very timid person when I don't know people. Like, I can kind of, like, revert back into my shell. You know, a lot of people are like, you are shy. You're not shy. You're an extrovert. And I'm like, I'm an extroverted introvert. Um, but I do remember, like, always advocating for myself whenever I felt like things weren't fair. You know, as a kid. I remember saying, like, that's not fair. And then people are like, well, life isn't fair. And I'm like, well, make it fair type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I adults like are, when when adults, when you're an adult, you kind of see it like, oh, poor child. Like, it, you're, it's going to, your view on life is going to shatter when you realize the, the world we live in and, like, how cruel it is. And I'm like, why would you want to shatter a little kid's view of the world of, make of seeing good in everyone and wanting make to make everyone good and just telling people hey be a good person like be caring be empathetic and just resorting back to the way we live of like oh no like there's all this divide there's all this competition like who can climb up higher faster Mm -hmm. um yeah so I think I think that that's something I always reflect on like how just like it's important to be to be advocating for the things that we're passionate for and also just educating people in our community um because i and i sometimes i don't really like to use the word educating because it makes it seem like they're not educated like they don't know it but i mean more in like sharing the knowledge and sharing the resources that you have had access through Mm -hmm. through these institutions um, because that's the way that, you know, we are benefiting off the system. I have been able to pursue a higher education compared to other people when education should be free, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a resource for all of us. It's something that is going to make us as a society better, but like mm-hmm. there's even that standard. But when I think about it, I do think about how sometimes in my family or even in our culture, it's, it's said like, at least to women too, like Aida Te Ves Mas Bonita, like the silencing of women and young girls of, hey, yes. don't buddy, like don't get involved. And I remember thinking like, why? Like, why? Like there's something in me that's telling me like, use your voice, like this isn't okay. And sometimes I felt like what I was doing was wrong. 
And I think it's that fear of like, there's violence against women mm-hmm. for speaking up. And we've seen it today on like how it has like you we've seen xenophobia i'm sorry if i'm saying that wrong (laughs) against the um asian american and pacific islander community ever since the rise of um covid19 like we've seen this alarming escalation of bigotry and xenophobia against a aapi Mm -hmm. um in that community and i think um you know, this has always been an issue where these groups of people are being targeted, but I know that social media is very big now, and so it's getting more news coverage. Um, so it's just kind of like, it's just sad because I don't want, it just sucks that like it just is repeated over and over, and it's like, when is there actually going to be something done about this? You know, because... Mm-hmm. I don't think another story, another incident has mm-hmm. to happen until action gets to happen. Like, and, like, at the cost happen. of what, right? Yeah. At the cost of what? At the cost of people's lives. Like, what extremity like, does it have to reach? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's already reached this extreme notion of people are dying. Yeah. People are be- being beaten and attacked. People are afraid on top of having to survive a pandemic, people from the AAPI community are afraid to walk outdoors because, or they're like having their elders be outdoors, like that violence, like violence in, um, against that community because of the, like just the escalation um, ever since like COVID-19 um, started, mm-hmm. which is like, to me, it's just like, I know, like, um, you know, and I do I do want to give a trigger warning before we, like, continue moving forward. Like, just violence against women and um, gun violence. Like, um, so if y'all want to take a break, pause it, like, skip it a bit ahead. Um, I do want to bring forward, like, the, the violent acts that happened in, um, I believe it was Georgia, right? I think so. Yeah, the um, eight lives that were lost, um, Asian, um, Asian, Asian American women working, um, like sex workers that were targeted, um, how this is a hate crime. And I don't I, I haven't kept up with it, to be completely honest, like um, it took a toll on me when I first saw it in the sense that I felt like I'm sick and tired of seeing these things happening of seeing people I care about get impacted like this. And, you know, that's a privilege that I want to acknowledge that that's a privilege that I can turn that off and be like, check myself out mentally from that because Mm -hmm. it's not directly affecting me. But there's some people that can turn that switch off and say, hey, I'm going to check out. That is a privilege. And like, Mm -hmm. we need to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you are a person of color, all experiences are different. And we need to acknowledge the fact that we hold privileges that other people from other communities of color do not hold. Um, so I, I'm i not sure if it's still being argued if it's a hate crime or not. But I know in the very beginning, the first, the first few days, the first week or so, it was not being addressed as a hate crime. And people that's were not another frustration that. that comes with these 
violent stories, these attacks that are happening, the way that they have to be portrayed on the media, like why are you all sugarcoating stuff? Why is there the why is there censorship around this? Like why aren't you calling it how it is? Like who are you guys running it by? I don't know mm-hmm. if like it's just to make America look less unfair or you know, I just don't understand what gets yeah. to be considered a hate crime, what doesn't get to be considered a hate crime. Mm-hmm. It's a hate crime. It's like Estagi Presente in big bold letters. It's in your face. You it's a freaking hate crime. Yeah. And people are like, well, we're going to take the time to analyze it and analyze mm-hmm. this and like make a report and like continue investigating to see if it's a hate crime. And I'm like, bro, how do you not freaking know? Like, what else do you need to know to realize that this is a hate crime? This is rooted in racism. The system and the foundation that the United States is built upon is built upon white supremacy. And, um, like, this is history. This is facts. Like, there there are times where, like, of course, like, I can have this conversation and, like, listen to someone else's perspective. But sometimes it does get exhausting, you know? Like, like having to... Having, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but I feel like sometimes when you're the group that's being oppressed, it also feels like this pressure and responsibility to educate everyone else. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's you're already facing this trauma and um, what's it called? Like racial battle fatigue and this exhaustion and then having mm-hmm. to go and have this responsibility of having to educate people to understand where you're coming from when we have all these resources at hand that you can easily have like I feel like sometimes there's this like um expectation of like oh well I'm not aware or I might have disagreeing like values or um beliefs as you so educate me tell me and I'm like you can look stuff up yeah like (laughs) it's like the it's like the thing like um out of sight out of mind but Mm -hmm. like yeah I don't know how that how you could be consciously okay with that it's just interesting because also I'm not big on watching the news my mom always has Univision on and to be honest it kind of does get super overwhelming like the way that they explain stories and the way that they just um I don't know like I can also get a lot of fatigue from like news overload you know because I Mm -hmm. use other like resources and outlets to look at news um but it was interesting how I saw um in the investigation of the Georgia shooting um there was a Mexican older man that was interviewed um I guess he was one of the targeted uh persons like right when the police showed up they automatically thought it was him um I think he he did say that his wife was one of the uh women that passed away um from Mm -hmm. that incident but he was like I don't understand like he was explaining like I don't understand why they thought it was me and so like it just it just like goes back to like you know how we're talking about the the farm workers movement it's mm-hmm. like filipinos were trying to unite with mexicans and then 
um I forgot his name. I need to go back in. How he explains like his name was Andy Imutan. Um how he said that even Mexicans were like resistant mm-hmm. to unite. Um, yeah. but it's and- like y'all like I mean I'm I'm very happy, you know, like the progression that was made. Like mm-hmm. they ended up uniting and um fighting, but it's like it just makes you think too like what are those what are what were they feeling like mm-hmm. were they gonna be like going through repercussions if they joined you know like it was probably it was a lot of things that they had to like think about and consider and be afraid of you know mm-hmm. um there's some points i want to make i'm gonna start with what you just said right now <laughs> um it makes it makes me think about how also even even now we see instances where when we talk about certain like uh, racial injustices um, and I'm going to use my own community because that's like my own experience and I want to only share from my lived experiences. But I think about like when there's been times that I've advocated for something that's happened in the Latinx community, it's this divide between like, yes, that's happening and the majority of Latinos can relate. But if I bring in the woman perspective it's almost like, e, let's not get too out, too out of hand right now. Like, this is already too much to ha- carry. So it's almost the issues that have to deal with women are dismissed. And all the other issues are pushed to the forefront. Um, and again, mm-hmm. we saw it in the feminist movement. White women were not pushing the voices of women of color and addressing the unique issues and the unique experiences and the oppression that women of color were facing. And when white feminism was a thing, it was only using the narrative of white women. So I feel like there's always this constant, like, again, if I'm not going to benefit from it, like, or is this going like, to be too much to handle? Or mm-hmm. like, is this going to be too much to handle? Like, is this going to like, not get us what we're trying to win, not get us um, to get our expectations and demands met when we're presenting this and we're protesting this, like, then I'm not going to, acknowledge that part just yet um yeah yeah and then something else I wanted to bring forward was just that like I feel like I don't like watching Univision or like media in general because I really think that they really do twist the media it's bias yes Mm -hmm. and they twist and turn things to appeal and entertain Mm -hmm. you know like and to like create fear Mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. why it, it's like overwhelming mm-hmm. yeah so like sometimes I'm just like like what even like I'll be watching I'll watch it with my parents and I'm like yo you have this hugest platform and you're literally misinforming or sending this mass narrative about a certain group of people and like continue to like re um reinforce these um, racist beliefs that exist in the Latinx community mm-hmm. and I'm like that's not what happened so like that's when I I'm like sharing with like family like hey that's not really true like that's uh-huh. slightly true yes what they said right here is true uh-huh. but let me tell you a little bit more this is what yeah. happened yeah. And, then, and, and when they're like well where did you hear this from is that true and I'm like from the knowledge and the information I've gathered so far this is what has happened but I could be wrong as well and you know there's times where I have been wrong and I have to go back and say I was misinformed this is mm-hmm. actually what happened 
mm-hmm. or even having to check my own biases and like hey what I said was wrong at that time even if Thank it was you. five ten years ago because yeah. people are listening to what you're saying especially mm-hmm. like at least in in my family like um or not even family but I feel like sometimes a lot of people are like hey like you have a degree, you have an education, like, can you, like, tell us a little bit like, more Like, you about should that? know everything. And I'm like, uh, you guys, actually, yo no sé nothing. Like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. No soy diccionario. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, like, that constant reminder that I have to tell my mom, like, just so that you know, like, not everything is fully true on there, like... Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind because, you know, I can already hear it in her tone where she's like, oh, my gosh, oíste lo que dijeron? Déjame oír, déjame oír. And I'm just like, no, like, primero, like, relájate because, like, it's overwhelming and I can hear it in her voice. And I'm like, that's not healthy either, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um. definitely. Like, there's just so much, you know, and I feel like this is something that is an ongoing conversation um, that we're going to be having in terms of a lot of things that have happened in history that were, like, kept from us or, like, that we learned late or that we became aware of and even, like, began to acknowledge late in age, um, but that are very important to continue having and very important to continue acknowledging and to remember that part of history and to pass that down. Um, to younger generations we are like really diving into the truth behind everybody up in the system <laughs> we, so. we just woke up today and we, <laughs> we chose like keeping it real and we chose like <laughs> like being truthful we chose um truths <laughs> we chose, <truth>. chose expose <laughs> <laughs> naps to that I don't know where I heard it's like a song it's like you just got exposed 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 <laughs> <laughs> left and right sin vergüenza gente like we've been saying sin vergüenza but not not gonna lie sometimes when I you know when I share these stories with everyone um and all of our listeners part of me is like oh my god like I hope my future employers like listen to this and they're like girl you're speaking truth you're speaking facts you're hired yes <laughs> Like, like we just hope they're yeah. like rooting us yeah. too. Porque a veces como que si me da vergüenza, and I'm like, ah, I'm a little shy now. <laughs> Marisol likes to play the I'm shy card. This is a little inside joke we have from when we used to work together. She would say I'm shy, and this became like a little joke we would tell her, like, girl, you ain't shy. I be hearing the voice you have. You be standing up for what you believe in. But it's that, it's, you know, again, I feel like it's that, that almost fear of like, oh, crap, where is this going to lead to? Did I overstep? Did I, did I speak too much? But I feel like at Mm -hmm. the same time, I'm like, I'm speaking for countless of people that have been, um, like, put into this fear of being silent because Mm -hmm. something, something powerful that was shared, um, had an event was like how uh, by Cesar Chavez's granddaughter was that people that are oppressed are not voiceless um, that they're just silenced and that they're ignored and how like the people that should be listening listening to what they're saying and what they're advocating for 
are not listening and choosing not to listen to what they're saying. So I feel like sometimes when I speak up and I get like that, that embarrassment of like, or like that fear of, oh, I shouldn't have said something. This is going to cost me this and this and that. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for thousands of people and I'm making my ancestors proud and I'm making mm-hmm. my grandmothers proud because I'm speaking the truth and pues si me cuesta, you know, like my, my financial You're... stability, pues I'll find something else. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it because mm-hmm. you're fighting the good fight. And mm-hmm. that's like going back to that poem that I read, Legacy by Rupi Carr. You're building those mountains, like seeing a different mm-hmm. horizon you know yeah by making your voice be heard and I think like how you said like am I over speaking like because we have that instilled fear you know from generations and generations of being shut down Mm -hmm. you know from speaking up um and that whole thing of like that costumbre like women can't be saying whatever they want and it's like yeah we we do have that fear like we feel it but we're still gonna do it even if we have fear yeah and you know something that you made me think of right now um when you said like we're using that voice uh i so i don't know if i've ever told you but i actually write poetry i don't think a lot of people know this about me because it's like yes (laughs) i remember you touched on it a little bit yeah and when i first met one of the poems that i wrote like a super long time ago um it was something i said something on along the lines like I scream myself into places because it was kind of like a like a take on being told that like Ayadita te ves más bonita or like don't say that or why are you saying that or you shouldn't have said that it's gonna cost you like like friendships or it's gonna cost you like your job and things like that and I've always felt like well if it does like this is for the greater good of me speaking up for these people that I care about or these mm-hmm. people that are suffering or these people that are struggling mm-hmm. um, or these people that are exhausted and tired um, of having to face this. And I said something like, I scream myself into places when people tell me that I, to be quiet because I'm screaming myself into the place my grandmother was told to not be a part of. I'm screaming myself Ooh. into a space that my mother has been told to not be a part of. And I'm screaming myself into a space that my sisters and my aunts and my friends and my amigas um, have been told that they're not welcome. So when I speak, I scream. And I, and I don't know, there's just something about that. that I'm yes. Like, oh my gosh, day, that's like chilly. <laughs> um, yeah. Honestly. The next rupee card, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I feel like sometimes like that's what keeps me going that I'm like, like, okay, well, you know, if, if I if I just drop the ball and like me va a costar something big, then at least it's not costing me my sanity. At least when I go to sleep at night, I'm going to be sleeping peacefully because I know what I did was right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a firm believer that I do want to, I do want to be surrounded with people like whether these are colleagues or whether these are friends and family that people that really do align with what I am trying to advocate for and what I'm trying to make this world and leave this world to be. Um, mm-hmm. so like, even if it does cost me like people that I once cared about, I'm like, at the end of the day, like, this is, this is my vision for us. Because look, it, it can cost you jobs. It can cost you like, you know, relationships, whatever, but 
think about the people that it literally cost their lives yes that's that's why like yeah I don't care that I'm not gonna have this like that's like an even greater issue and you're gonna keep talking about what you believe yeah. in that's fine and how you were saying it's that you scream lives yo listen to yeah. that and like if, imagine if you don't care if you're literally there like well what's it to me like that's your privilege so check it mm-hmm. yeah it's like um I, i'm just thinking of like all the people that have been um firsthand you know experiencing these type of backlashes mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking of them as a collective. And they're like, well, imagine how we felt. Imagine how we mm-hmm. feel on a daily. Mm-hmm. Um, this this has to do with, like, all kinds of groups of people. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot today. Um, if y'all are still listening, if you broke this up into two or three parts to get through it. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. So we do want to conclude by sharing some small businesses. Um, either in the Central Valley or locally, you know, like in the state. Um, before we wrap this up and before we wish you the best on your day whenever you're listening. So um, I can share the first one, Maritza, and then we'll, we'll kind of switch off. Um, yeah, go for it. So the first one I want to share, and I wish, you know, I wish I I could just like, teleport to places i and i wish i could try all of these i haven't tried some of these but if anyone has tried it tell me how bomb it is because i already know it's bomb but i want to um plug cafe colibri which i believe is in modesto right it's in modesto oh let me find out it's in madero i confuse the two <laughs> i think it's modesto yeah uh, Madero's 30 minutes away from me. I would have been there oh, already. Okay. Then it's, um, then it's Modesto. Yeah, because it's the one that's like, that's a, a bit, like an hour and a half away from me. Because I looked it up. Because so I was like, oh, we're going to bust the mission. But anyway. That sounds, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen their page. It looks so cool. Right? We should do it, huh? We should just bust the mission out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know I will travel for food. <laughs> <laughs> or anything that, um. You know, it's worth mm-hmm. it. Um, so Cafe Colibri started as a vision for a more sustainable alternative model of community organizing and community prosperity. Through mutual connections, the founders intentionally came together to construct a different type of business model that would center sustainability, care, and community impact over profit and self-interest. Um, their collective years of living, working, and leading in the Central Valley-based community spaces, um, they came to the conclusion that although work in, commun- in community equity and social justice is much needed, it is one of the most underfunded and overlooked sectors of our society. So a question came to mind, um, what would community and social justice work look like if it was funded fairly and, sustainab- and sustainably? Um and what better venture for a project aimed at um, serving the community than Community Cup Cafe? So they immersed themselves in the world of coffee and were intentional about wanting to create and provide more than just a co- cup of coffee. Rather, they wanted to um, provide and create a community to share a sen- sensorial experience with every cup. So I'm reading this off their bio. They have... Um, 
an Instagram page that also links their website, which is Cafe Colibri underscore. Again, it's located in Modesto. If anyone is from there and y'all tried it, please DM us at Best of Both Maris and tell me how bomb it is. Because I really do want to bust the mission to just try the coffee. It'll be worth it. So I wanted to just give a shout out to a local coffee shop too. Um, this is in downtown Fresno. It's called Frida's Cafe. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been our spot. Like it has been lately. Mm-hmm. Um, they are so unique in the coffees that they have. And it just brings um, Latinx culture into it. So... I'm all for that. And just the ambience, too. It's, like, super chill to be Mm -hmm. there. Um, But, yeah, go check them out. Yes. Yes, I love um, Frida Cafe. I've only gone, like, the time I've gone with Maritza. But um, (laughs) they sell, like, their twist on on their coffee and, like, the way they advertise and their marketing and, like, the way they name it. Um, it really is inspired by, by like, women, right? Um, icons. And, mm-hmm. That's yeah. another part yeah, of it. Yeah, so, like, I know recently they released the, the Jenny Rivera. Um, the, the Mariposa, oh, Mariposa drink. drink. Mariposa drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, they are calling it a sweet and spicy tribute to La Diva de la Banda, Jenny Rivera. Oh, say less. And... And it gets better. So they're saying that the drink has tequila alternative mixed with organic chai. Oh, say less tequila. I'm there (laughs) every day, every day. Right? When I heard that, I was like, okay, you had me there. You don't got to tell me what what else is is in it. You had me a tequila. And then then it also has um, orange extract. And cinnamon and chili for a sassy kick. Dang. So you already know it's going to be a party if you don't okay. have that one. You already know it's going to be late. Be like, oh, I'm a little late off the cafecito. <laughs> so like we've been saying, like, grab your grab your drink. That could be yeah. a drink, too. Like, put yeah. two in one. Say, grab your drink or grab your cafecito. Now, now you can get both both in one. Dos en uno. <laughs> That's a deal right there. <laughs> yes. I know when I went, I tried the, the Celia Cruz one. It was bomb. It was so bomb. Oh, I love coffee. I need to try that yeah. one. So I'm going to share um, one more business. Um, I'm actually going to plug my best friend's um, cousin as the next business I want to highlight. Uh, so margarita you listening um i like my best friend's family is full of hustlers that they'd be running their own businesses um so her cousin runs like um like she makes like little antojitos um but like you know like the strawberries that are like decorated like she makes those so her instagram handle is delicias by nicole and her little um picture profile pictures a little strawberry it's so cute and she just sells like the heartbreak heartbreaker hearts um she sells manzanas um apples like um the ones that are like sweet with like the candy and stuff she sells chocolate covered strawberries and like decorated strawberries she sells bomb ass like pies and cheesecakes um and flan Ooh, i'm hungry she sells like so much bomb stuff <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, what else does she sell? I'm literally going through it and like my mouth se me está haciendo agua. Um, like little snacks, like with like Mexican candy. Um, like kind of like they kind of give me thirsty local vibes, but she calls them um, manzanas locas. So yeah, she sells a lot, like diverse a variety of treats. Um, great for like any birthdays or special occasions. Um, she sells like you know for holidays too. So she's always selling out. So if you are in Local to Visalia. Um, make sure you hit her up if you are interested. Oh, you know what else she sells? Um, the heart, the heart shape, the letter shaped cakes. Um, mm-hmm. <gasps> those are so cute. Yeah. So, like, make sure y'all hit up Delicias by Nicole. Um, so I wanted to plug someone else too. Um, shout out to my friend Maria. Her and her family have a boot business, and this business is called Five Five Nine Boots. Mm. Um, they have cowboy boots and they're really pretty. Um, they sell them at the Fresno Fairgrounds, the Selma Flea Market, and the Madeira Fairgrounds too. Um, I bought some, and I'm still wanting to break them in. You know, whenever we're safely okay to go to Jaripeos, I do want to go to one because I haven't been to one. But yeah, this is like the perfect business to get your boots from. So definitely check them out. They have an Instagram. And um, These you are can also cute. check them out at the Cherry Auction in Fresno. These are so cute. Well, yeah, that's all we have for you all today. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode. And stay tuned for more upcoming um, conversations and chatlas. <laughs>